Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Eason here with Life Coach Cindy Chavez. Today is Wednesday, September the 18th, 2019. It's 4 p.m. in New York. That's 1 p.m. Los Angeles time. That's 9, 9 p.m. rather, excuse me, in London. And that would make it 5 a.m. Tokyo, 6 a.m. in Sydney, Australia. Wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining us for another episode of LOA Today, your daily dose of happy and on top of everything else, it's Neville Day. Happy Neville Day, hey, everybody, because Wednesdays are Neville Days around here. And uh, Cindy, of course, uh, wasn't able to be with us last week, but we had a great interview with uh, a good friend, um, Dr. Paulette, who uh, uh, told us about her latest book about Facebook dating, and hopefully you caught that. But I have to say, Cindy, I am really glad to be getting back to Neville. It's something I look forward to every week, and, and so when I miss it, I miss it. I really miss it. It's so funny when you said, like, Happy Neville Day. I was thinking about, you know, somewhere online there are a couple calendars that tell you, like, it's almost every day is some special day for somebody. Right, right. I, yeah, like, I think yeah. today is Cheeseburger Day or something like that. I just saw that. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if Neville, wherever he is, realizes it's Neville Day yeah. <laughs> every Wednesday. Hey, Neville. <laughs> well, I, I would presume it's always Neville Day for him. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad to be back, too, uh, and looking forward to reading more. This has been a great book just because of the stories. Mm, I love the stories. And the perspective of, yeah. you know, people that have done this work. And then, you know, last time I was here, I read a story from a colleague and friend of mine that mm. that was doing this kind of work and had such an interesting story to tell. Yeah, fabulous story. Yeah, so it's like, it's funny, too, how many of these stories in the book that, that you were talking about, um, your guest last week, mm -hmm. in my absence, that actually was a contributor to the book that we put together. Right. And... A lot of the stories in that book were about people finding their dream homes. That's right. That's true. And then a lot of these Neville stories have also been about finding homes or buildings. And I mm. thought that was interesting because I remember when we put the book together, um, you and I were talking one day and you said, guess what most, you know, the, the highest number of stories that are coming in, guess what they're about. I thought they were right. about relationship. Yep. So, and you said they're about homes, like yeah. real estate, finding homes. <laughs> and I thought, that's really interesting. I mean, when you think about it, our home, it's it's a huge part of our life. It's where Absolutely. we spend, It's where we live. It's our protection. It's our shelter. It's where we create family and, you know, memories. And I think, wow, that's really cool that so many of these stories, including my friend's story that we read two weeks ago, had to do with finding a home. I don't think it would be too far of a stretch to say that the topic of homes is also the topic of relationships. Well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Because that's yeah. where most relationships that we're most involved with on a regular basis happen. Happen, right. And it's so funny because when I think of these Neville stories, so many of them are decades ago. Yes. Decades and decades ago. Right. And like 50, 60 years ago. And the book that we did just a couple of years ago. Still the same thing. So exactly, yeah. Some oh, things don't I, change, you're right? In that, you're in that place right now. Yeah, yeah. Louise and I are both in in that place, and um, I mean, I can kind of sense things are starting to shift a little bit, and you know, the earth is starting to move. You know, we haven't got that dream home yet, but stuff's been happening. Interesting little things have been happening. Not the least of which is this conversation. Um, but it just homes just keep coming up. In yeah. various ways. We had a nice conversation. We had a, um, a time out with, um, out for dinner with Anne-Marie and Mike, who used to do the Sunday night show with me. And, uh, they, they're currently involved. Mike is a contractor and has been doing, uh, you know, rehabs of homes for years now. And, and they're now talking about doing home flipping. And, and we were talking to them, kind of picking their brains. And they're giving us ideas about how we can get our home and so forth. So, I mean, it's just, it just keeps <laughs> popping up in little tiny ways. And it's, it's just bound to happen at some point. I just don't know when. Yeah, and I love when things like that pop up because that's mm. just – I always feel like that's, you know, what we call driftwood, right? Yes, it's right. Just the universe's way of letting us know. I always like to remind people that when you're working on manifesting a certain thing or creating a certain thing and then you see it in the periphery of your life mm -hmm. 
to recognize that's because you're becoming more in alignment with it and not to be upset by it. You know, some people are like wanting a relationship and then like their best friend gets engaged or something and they're like, oh, everybody but me. Everybody but me, right. And it's like, no, no, you're you're noticing it and it's coming closer to you because you're more in alignment with it. So all these conversations and things that you notice will start to happen more frequently it's perspective we talked about perspective before we started the podcast perspective is everything and whatever perspective we bring to it is in of itself a form of attraction because because our perspective regulates and and dictates what it is we're focusing on you know it's interesting because the conversation we had right before we came on the air was actually about loss and Mm -hmm. how you know uh we lose a friend or a loved one and how so many people look at that perspective of it's so sad and how awful and Mm -hmm. there's the other perspective too and it's the perspective of the person that's going through it did they think that they feel they had a good life and things like that and i was reading um a post recently i think it was monty farber who is one of my favorite astrologers but he was talking about they had he and his wife had a close friend die and they they were talking about the idea of people asking the question why do some people suffer so much before mm-hmm. they go right like mm-hmm. we and we've all had someone who it's like oh, sure. the doctor kept saying probably the next few days and then it weeks drug out you know i had mm-hmm. a friend that her mother it's like no one knew how and she was suffering so much and what he said was because they they're resisting Yes. Because they won't let go because right. they're saying, oh, wait, I just have one more person to see or one more thing to do or one more whatever. But he said what he realized recently with this loss was that it's the same on our side of it. Like, why do they suffer so much? Because we won't let go because yeah, we're like, too. don't go, don't go. We don't want to lose you. We don't want you mm-hmm. to go. And so there's hanging on, which creates suffering, which to me is it's resistance, pure and simple, right? And I mean, I get it. I would probably be resisting too, but, sure. <laughs> but I think I just, we all would. it's interesting, you know, that whole perspective of when we call something bad or we call something good, which really usually just uncomfortable or comfortable. That's right. Exactly <laughs> or right. Pleasurable. What we, yeah. we, we give it labels, but it's all about perspective. So it certainly is. In fact, yeah. Alex and I were talking yesterday about something that's related to this. And I think I, I'm seeing a strong connection right now. Um, and I'm going to, to uh, pre-pave uh, this by saying I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not giving out medical advice here. But I really do believe what Abraham Hicks teaches us, which is all of our illnesses, all of our sickness, all of our difficulties with our body that we experience, they start with our thought patterns. And when I look at things that way and understand that, I also see a pattern or, or a, a lot of patterns that all play out very similarly where end of life comes into it. Because over and over again, I see people who come to end of life and then they die. And the way they were living their lives in many cases, and I can't always tell because, I mean, I'm not in everybody's life. Thank goodness they probably don't want me in their life all the time. (laughs) But among those whose lives I have been in, who I've watched the pattern, I can just see how this whole idea of resistances really plays a major role. I mean, these are resistances that have been going on in most cases for decades that have been yeah. just going on for a long, long time. And, and end of life very much, very much of the time is about kind of the end game of that decade's worth of resistances that have been lived through. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to understand that because the resistance. Because, yeah. we, you know, a lot of times, even on our podcast, we talk about um, people being afraid of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Like we stay in what we call our comfort zone, even when it's not comfortable (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's more comfortable than what we perceive might be over there in the unknown. Like we don't, we don't go apply for new jobs, even though we're miserable in our job, but it's because, well, but I, I'm comfortable enough to, I know how to navigate this, this job and it's close to home. And we try to think of reasons to stay, even though we keep complaining about it. Mm -hmm. It's because that other thing is unknown. And what's the big unknown? It's like, what happens after, this life. So it's no wonder people are resistant to mm-hmm. it. And like, I think actually the resistances aren't just to end of life itself. I think it's, I, I think it's just little things. Uh, I saw it with my mom who passed in July. Last time I saw her in person was last September. And at that time, I think I relayed to you and related to others that 
you know, it was pretty obvious to me that she was done. Part yeah. of the way it was obvious to me and kind of some of this is based on what my sister was telling me because she was my mom's caregiver up to the end. Um, my mom had done what many people do. She had kind of reverted to a childlike uh, posture, if you will. Um, and, and she, she had, uh, she had sort of an OCD component that really got accentuated at the end. So everything had to be just so everything had to be in just the right place. Everything. I mean, it had to be just the right thing playing at the tel- on the television at certain times. It had to be changed to other things. I mean, everything had to have its own little order, which was actually quite a bit more than she'd ever, uh, demonstrated to me anyway, while we were growing up for sure. And even later on in life. So this is something that kind of grew over time. But I could also see how it's kind of tied in to various frustrations she had and concerns she had and difficulties she had. Because like everybody else, and this is true for me, I'm sure it's true for you, we have our resistances. These resistances are things that we learned sure. and that we, we took on. We literally took them on because we thought in some way they would serve us. Which is such a strange concept, and yet it's true. They always, if you look, if you can, on those occasions where you can trace them back, where you can actually find the roots of them, it's amazing. Every single time, in some way, we thought they were going to serve us. Well, it's usually they did serve us. Mm-hmm. At, at the time they were created, they did mm-hmm. serve us in some way, and then they weren't serving us anymore. But they they were st- we were stuck at that point with them, right? They became a habit, literally a habit in the brain. Mm-hmm. Of the way we think. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. anybody, I am not hugely well-versed in brain science, but I have quite a few colleagues that are, and so I love listening to the things that they teach me about that. And, you know, we, we do, our, our neural connections become wired together. Mm. So they become automatic. And usually when we put some kind of habit into place, you know, the best example or one of the great examples is that when we're when we're very small, our parents teach us, you know, not to wander out, right? And all of we want to do that because we're curious. Sure. Don't talk to strangers, don't mm-hmm. go out in the street, don't, you know, t- stay here, stay small, stay safe. Mm-hmm. Those things kept us safe when we were five. But if we adhere to those for the rest of our life they won't really serve us. We won't meet new people. We won't go new places. We won't find out new discoveries because we're staying back. And we won't risk dipping into the contrast. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it right there in a nutshell. We yeah. won't risk dipping into the contrast. That's it. Yeah. That yeah. contrast, as it turns out, is actually pretty good. We may not like parts of it, but it's still pretty darn good. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. And that's one of the things I was thinking about this week is the question, you know, so what? Yeah. So what if it does? You know, oh my goodness, if I do this, X, Y, Z could happen. So what? I mean, there's there's sort of the <laughs> the, uh, the Zen Buddhist approach, I guess I would call it, the the one that says, well, none of us get out of this alive, so <laughs> why there's worry always, about it? <laughs> I always crack up about, you know, in the in the Christian Bible and the Hebrew Bible, the Book of Job, which people even that aren't familiar with the Bible are usually familiar with that story. Sure. When Job pretty much had everything that could go wrong did go wrong. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and, and the verses that Job saying, the thing I feared the most has come to pass. And mm-hmm. I always say, you know what? The thing we fear the most hardly ever comes to pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? that's true. Well, I, 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 except that when we keep focusing on it, then we bring it. To come to pass. We can, but we're, we're know, generally speaking, we hold back from doing things because we have these fears. And if exactly. we launch out and do those things, those fears usually aren't the things that happen. It's like you said. It's when we stay back and we keep fearing. You know, Jeffrey is tuned in as, as he often does and, and uh, gave us a good little little addition to what we're saying. He says, I refer to dropping or to dipping into the contrast as playful chaos. It's a good description. I like that. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Really good stuff. Well, before we let the the playful chaos begin here on the show, I'm going to uh, get some announcements out of the way. Alrighty. And first and first and foremost is the one that we do every single time, which is we want people to be subscribers to the podcast. And uh, fortunately, about eighty to ninety percent of our listeners are already subscribers, and listenership does continue to rise. Um, I did I took a little um, uh, average of like the last fifty shows and. 
Uh, we are now up to around 325 listeners on average per episode. So it's pretty cool. Wonderful. Um, thank you, subscribers. Yes, thank you. We love you guys. Um, but for the other 10 to 15% who are not your subscribers, we want you to join in on the fun. And the fun comes five days a week with uh, five different sets of co-hosts that I enjoy doing these shows with, including Cynthia here on Wednesdays. So you get a different flavor every single day. And it really, I think it does a lot to help everybody keep that daily dose of happy coming in because that's that's kind of our fuel right when we're feeling good about stuff that's when yeah. we're feeling our, refueling ourselves and giving ourselves that energy yeah. we need to go do the next thing we're going to do so you know, come join us and get get your uh, your refilled gas tank if you will and it's so simple to do just go to loatoday.net and right at the top of the page you will be able to, to subscribe just by clicking a few buttons and just like that, you'll be one of the many. And then also feel free to tune in and watch us on YouTube. That's where some of our subscribers are coming in regularly now, actually. Um, we're now averaging about 26 subscribers on YouTube every time. So, you know, it's it's, it's coming along nicely. Um, and, of course, the great advantage of YouTube is you get to watch us. It's not just hearing <laughs> us. You get to watch us as well and watch our body language and all that kind of stuff, especially when we're laughing and having fun. That's a good way to enhance your own daily dose of happy. Sure. But uh, with, and by the way, if you do subscribe there, you find us on YouTube by searching for LOA Today Podcast Videos. And then once you click the subscribe button, make sure you hit the little bell so you can get notified every single time that we come in with another show. So those are our main messages for the day. I do want to let people know the grass is greener, is not dead. It's still uh, simmering in the background. Alex has finished uh, episode two. She is working hard on episode three. So it's coming Ooh, along. Very good. Um, the, the biggest uh, drag on the whole process has been my sister and I, because of um, our mom's passing, that kind of threw a, a monkey wrench into the whole thing. But we're we're getting to the point now where we've, we're already starting to reach out to the cast and say, okay, we're getting ready to do two, and we, we haven't set the dates yet, but it's getting close. So just wanted to let people know that is yeah, yeah. yeah that's exciting. It is exciting. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good show. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate that. We appreciate that. Yeah. So Neville, we're up to, where are we? Chapter six, is that where we're we are? Chapter six of Neville's uh, book, The Law and the Promise. And this book is wonderful because it's full of stories of real life stories of people who have used Neville's methods. And uh, the, the title of this chapter is Visionary Fancy. Mm. We've heard Neville use this word before. Uh, it, it's kind of old fashioned, but I like it. <laughs> uh, and he, he quotes Blake. He says, the nature of visionary fancy or imagination is very little known, and the external nature and permanence of its ever-existent images is considered as less permanent than the things of vegetative and generative nature. Yet the oak dies as well as the lettuce, but its eternal image and individuality never dies, but renews by its seed. Just so the imaginative image returns by the seed of contemplative thought or contemplative thought. Uh, that's kind of interesting. We could really pick that apart if we wanted to. Mm. But, you know, our thoughts, basically that our thoughts, our imagination and the images that we imagine uh, never die. I think this is kind of like thinking about the vibrations that happen from our voices like if you've ever yelled into a canyon and heard the echo. Mm. I mean, that vibration from the words we speak, um, it just goes on and on and on. We may mm -hmm. stop hearing it. Right, right. But it keeps going. I, I kind of liken that to this. Uh, mm -hmm. The eternal image and individuality never dies, but renews by its seed, just so the imaginative image returns by the seed of contemplative thought. The images of our imagination are the realities of which any physical manifestation is only the shadow. <laughs> That's kind of deep, right? Well, it, it continues the theme that he's he's discussed in every single book that we've read so far, but it's a, yeah, it's a great way of, of expressing it because he's turned it into a sort of a metaphorical description, which he often does, but it's one that has, has kind of um, theatrical quality to it, I guess is what I Think of it. Right to to think that what we're imagining is the real thing, and mm -hmm. when, it, when it manifests in our physical reality, it's just the shadow of it. All the world really is a stage. <laughs> if we are faithful to vision, the image will create for itself the only physical manifestation of itself it has a right to make. We speak of the reality; it's got quotes around it. The reality of a thing when we mean its material substance. 
That's exactly what an imaginist means by its unreality or shadow. (laughs) Imagining is spiritual sensation. Enter into the feeling of your wish fulfilled through spiritual sensation, through your use of imaginal sight, sound, scent, taste, and touch. You will give to your image the sensory vividness necessary to produce that image in your outer or shadow world. Here's the story of one who was faithful to his vision. F.B., being a true imaginist, remembered what he had heard in his imagination. Thus, he writes. And here's F.B.'s story. And every time I see F.B., you know what I think, right? So, <laughs> Actually, I don't know. What do you think? Facebook. <laughs> oh, Facebook. Oh. <laughs> okay. It's like shorthand, right? But this is a person, and his initials are F.B., and he writes, A friend who knows my passionate fondness for opera tried to get Kirsten Flagstead's complete recording of Tristan and Isolde for me at Christmas. In over a dozen record stores, he was told the same thing. RCA Victor is not reissuing this recording, and there have been no copies available since June, on December 27th. So remember that these stories come from decades ago. Right, right. (laughs) Well, especially when you have RCA Victor. I mean, that label hasn't been around for a long time. (laughs) Right. I determined to prove your principle again by getting the album I desired so intensely. Lying down in my living room, I mentally walked into a record shop I patronized and asked the one salesman whose face and voice I could recall, do you have Flagstead's complete isolated? He replied, yes, I have. That ended the scene, and I repeated it until it was real to me. So I want to make a note here for those of us who have read Neville a long time and seen this uh, method of his Mm -hmm. where he's lying down, he's relaxing, so we say a meditative state, often done right as we're drifting to sleep. And he imagined a what, what Walt and I have started calling a vignette because it's a short little scene. Notice how short this is? Very. He mentally walked into a record shop. He patronizes. He asked the one salesman whose face and voice he could recall, do you have Flagstead's complete isolate? And he replied, yes, I have. And that was it. Insane. Yep. <laughs> so I think this is really important to remember because sometimes our imagination wants to create some big involved scene. And <laughs> it's not necessary. Which is, which is fine. I, I, I think there's actually something to be said for both. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just making the point that it's really not necessary. It's not necessary. No, you can do it with with a very very short version. The the one thing that uh, I would I I like to remind people about the short version is the short version. You don't want to just do it one and done because it's like oh, no. Abraham talks about. You want right. to you want to have the thought going for you know 14 seconds in order to get another thought and 68 seconds in order to get the you know the, the actual manifestation happening. And they, you're not going to get that out of a scene that lasts five seconds. Right. Well, and like this man writes, that ended the scene, and I repeated it until it was real to me. Exactly. And what I've noticed in my own practice is that if I let my imagination sort of go wild and I get a very involved scene with all kinds of things happening, uh, sometimes it's really great. But other times, all of a sudden, I'm thinking about, you know, the grocery list or something. Yeah, we go off the rails really I've easily. I've completely gone off the rails, and I'm like, yeah. oh, wait, what was I doing? So, <laughs> so this little short scene is, you know, really powerful to focus, and then again, and then again. He says, late that afternoon, I went to that record shop to physically enact the scene. Not one detail supplied by the senses had encouraged me to believe I could walk out of that shop with those records. I had been told last September by the same salesman in the same shop the same story my friend had received there before Christmas. Approaching the salesman, I had seen an imagination that morning. I said, do you have Flagstead's complete isolate? He replied, no, we haven't. Without saying anything audible to him, I said inwardly, that's not what I heard you say. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about rescripting and pruning sure as a revision. I mean, this guy does it right on the scene. Whoa. Right on the scene, he says inwardly, that's not what I heard you say. <laughs> as I turned to leave the shop, I noticed on a top shelf what I thought to be an advertisement of this set of records and remarked to the salesman, if you don't have the merchandise, you shouldn't advertise it. That's right, he replied. And as he reached up to take it down, discovered it to be a complete album with all five records. <laughs> the scene wasn't played exactly as I had constructed it, 
but the result confirmed what my imagination, what my imagined scene implied. How can I thank you, FB? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very cool story, too. I love this story. Um, Neville says, after reading FB's letter, we must agree with Anthony Eden that an assumption, though false, if persisted in, will harden into fact. FB's fancy, fusing with the sense field of the record shop. I don't think we've heard that term before from Neville. Fusing with the sense field of the record mm. shop, mm-hmm. enriched aspects of it, and made them his, what he perceived. Our future is our imagining in its creative march. FB used his imagination for a conscious purpose, representing life as he desired it to be, and thereby affecting life instead of merely reflecting it. So sure was he that his imaginal drama was the reality and the physical act but a shadow that when the salesman said, no, we haven't, FB mentally said, that's not what I heard you say. He not only remembered what he had heard, but he was still remembering it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Imagining the wish fulfilled is the seeking that finds, the asking that receives, the knocking to which is opened. He saw and heard what he desired to see and hear and would not take, no, we haven't, for an answer. Now, I love that Neville uses the word remembers here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, this guy's remembering what the shopkeeper said as though it was a memory, as though it actually happened. Or or he's remembering more precisely what he imagined that the shopkeeper. Right. But that's what I'm saying is he didn't say, well, that's not what I imagined you would say. Right. Exactly. He says, that's not what I heard you say. Yeah. yeah. Very, very, (laughs) very precise. It was a real event, right? Yeah. Yeah. And something else occurred to me too, uh, because Tristan and Isoldi, I've always pronounced it Isoldi. I'm not sure what the exact pronunciation is, but Tristan and Isoldi is actually a very famous opera by Wagner. And the thing that's interesting about that, um, that opera and that piece of music, from my perspective anyway, is that it's very, very dramatic. It's very dramatic music. I mean, it's the kind of music that, it, I mean, it's old-fashioned because it's from the 19th century, but you could almost hear it in a modern movie because it has that level of drama in it. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine to myself, I wonder if FB was actually listening to an, a recording of you know somebody else's oh. recording besides uh Falstead, or whatever her name was, uh, another recording of Tristan Isoldi as part of his background for setting himself up to play that scene so that it would re-imprint itself more forcefully. (laughs) Because it would be perfect music for that. (laughs) I don't know if you can hear it, but Big Storm just rolled in. Yeah, uh, We've been through this before, I believe. I know, right? It suddenly got really dark in my office. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) You you suddenly froze. I said, oh, no, I hope it's not happening again. (laughs) Let's not think about that. Okay. Okay. Um, we're we're, we're going to think goose guys. So and Neville goes on to say, the imaginist dreams while awake. He is not the servant of his vision, but the master of the direction of his attention. Imaginative constancy controls perception of events in space-time. Unfortunately, most men are ever-changing like a joyless eye that finds no object worthy its constancy. He's quoting Shelley to the moon. All right. We get another story here. Mrs. G.R. too had imaginatively heard what she wanted to physically hear and knew the outer world must confirm it. This is her story. <laughs> Excuse me. I have to, before you tell the story, I have to, to refer to this Jeffrey in his usual inimicable way. Uh, said, uh, by the way, I'm appreciating Cindy's nails. Just a side note. <laughs> So oh. your nails are being appreciated. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I, I appreciate that compliment. I receive it. All right. So let's hear the story. Here's the story. Some time ago, we advertised our home for sale, which was necessary for us to buy a larger property on which we had placed a deposit. Several people would have bought our home immediately, but we were obliged to explain that we could not close any deal until we learned whether or not our offer for the property we wanted had been accepted. At this time, a broker called and literally begged us to allow him to show our home to a client of his who was eager for this location and would be glad to pay even more than we were asking. We explained our situation to the broker and to his client, and they both stated they did not mind waiting for our deal to be consummated. 
The broker asked us to sign a paper, which he said was not binding in any way, but would give him first chance at the sale if our other deal went through. We signed the paper and later learned that in California real estate law, nothing could have been more binding. Mm. A few days later, our deal for the new property fell through, so we notified this broker, and his verbal response was, well, just forget it. Two weeks later, he filed suit against us for $1,500 commission. Trial date was set, and we asked for a jury trial. Our attorney assured us he would do all that he could, but that the law on this particular point was so stringent that he could not see any possibility of our winning the case. When time for the trial arrived, my husband was in the hospital and could not appear with me in our defense. I had no witnesses, but the broker brought three attorneys and a number of witnesses into court against us. Our attorney now told me we had not the slightest chance to win. I turned to my imagination, and this is what I did. Completely disregarding all that had been said by attorneys, witnesses, and the judge who seemed to favor the plaintiff, I thought only of the words I wanted to hear. In my imagination, I listened intently and heard the foreman of the jury say, we find the defendant not guilty. I listened until I knew it was true. I closed my mind's ear to everything said in that courtroom and heard only those words. We find the defendant not guilty. The jury deliberated from noon recess until 4.30 that afternoon, and all during those hours I sat in the courtroom and heard those words over and over in my imagination. When the jurors returned, the judge asked the foreman to stand and give their verdict. The foreman stood up and said, we find the defendant not guilty. (laughs) Pretty pretty interesting. And Neville quotes, dream peddlery, Thomas Lovell Beddoes, if there were dreams to sell, what would you buy? (laughs) would you not buy your wish fulfilled your dreams are without price and without money by locking up the jury in her imagination i love that turn of Mm -hmm. phrase right hearing only what she wanted to hear she called the jury to unanimity on her behalf imagining imagining being the reality of all that exists with it the lady achieved her wish fulfilled pebble's statement that poet creates from contemplation is true of imaginists as well. Certainly gives new meaning to the word sequestering the jury. <laughs> right? But, and, and to think that they deliberated for like four hours. Yeah. And that yeah. she sat in the courtroom the entire time. You mm-hmm. know, we talk a lot on our podcast about practice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? And about hanging in there, holding the vision for something. And we all have such short attention spans, or most of us do anyway, thanks to uh, social media and all <laughs> the stuff going on. Um, that's a long time to be hearing that phrase over and over, four hours. Well, well she did have a couple of uh, advantages that we don't currently have. Number one, she didn't have social media or a smartphone. So she did, she they won't let you have your smartphone in court, so... Well, well, at the time they didn't exist, so that made it even harder <laughs> to have one. Um, and the other advantage that she had at the time was, she, and this is not something we often think of as an advantage, but it really is an advantage. She was under a lot of pressure. She, I mean, her focus was intently focused on this thing that was about to happen to her and her husband. That's going that focuses the mind tremendously, and she took advantage of it. She could have yeah. easily just crumbled under it. She could have just folded up and given up, but she didn't. She decided she was going to stay with it and use it, and she used it to her advantage very well so that she could maintain her focus for pretty close to four hours, it sounds like. So once she got the results she wanted. I love what, you know, we're talking about not having a smartphone, and and Neville's next phrase, he says, uh, about saying that imaginists create from contemplation, he -hmm. says they know how to utilize their video audio hallucinations to create Mm -hmm. reality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing yeah. is so fatal as conformity. We must not allow ourselves to be girt about by the ringed fixity of fact. Change the image and thereby change the fact. I, I love this story. I mean, I think it's fantastic. The story that we're about to read here? Uh, the story we just read. The story that we just read. Yeah, because yeah, we're, we're, we're loaded with stories. So that's why I have to make sure I know yeah, which story we're talking this, about. <laughs> this one's a good one, too. Um, R.O., initials, employed the art of seeing and feeling to create her vision and imagination. And here is what R.O. had to say in her letter. A year ago, I took my children to Europe, leaving my furnished apartment in the care of my maid. 
When we returned a few months later to the United States, I found my maid and all my furniture gone. The apartment superintendent stated that the maid had had my furniture moved by my request. There was nothing I could do at the moment, so I took my children and moved into a hotel. I, of course, reported the incident to the police and also brought in private detectives on the case. Both organizations investigated every moving company and every storage warehouse in New York City, but to no avail. There seemed to be absolutely no trace of my furniture, nor of my maid. Having exhausted all outside sources, I remembered your teaching and decided I would try using my imagination in this matter. So while seated in my hotel room, I closed my eyes and imagined myself in my own apartment, sitting in my favorite chair and surrounded by all my personal furnishings. I looked across the living room at the piano, on which I kept pictures of my children. I would continue to stare at my piano until the entire room became vividly real to me. I could see my children's pictures and actually feel the upholstery of the chair in which, in my imagination, I sat. The next day, as I came out of my bank, I turned to walk in the direction of my vacant apartment instead of toward my hotel. When I reached the corner, I discovered my mistake and was just about to turn back when my attention was drawn to a very familiar pair of ankles. Yes, the ankles belonged to my maid. I walked up to her and took hold of her arm. She was quite frightened, but I assured her all I wanted from her was my furniture. I called a taxi, and she took me to the place in which her friends had stored my furnishings. In one day, my imagination had found what an entire big city police force and private investigators could not find in weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you marshal the forces of the universe, and uh, amazing things can happen. Neville says this lady knew the secret of imagining before she called in the police, but imagining, in spite of its importance, was forgotten, owing to attention being fixed on facts. Mm -hmm. However, what reason failed to find by force, imagining found without effort. Nothing merely goes on, including the sense of loss, without its imaginal support. By imagining that she was seated in her own chair in her own living room, surrounded by all of her own furnishings, she withdrew the imaginal support she had given to her sense of loss, and by this imaginal change, she recovered her lost furniture and reestablished her home. Your imagination is most creative when you imagine things as you desire them to be, building a new experience out of a dream of fancy. To build such a dream of fancy in her imagination, F.G. brought to play all of her senses, sight, sound, touch, smell, even taste. This is her story. Before we get to FG's story, I want to point out that the same thing is true about R.O.'s story, the one we just heard, because she actually described how she could see her children's pictures and actually feel the upholstery of the chair in right. which, in her imagination, she sat. And that's it. That's, I think that's, that's really important. And, yeah. again, we, we, we've talked about this a lot, you know, many times, but I, I still think it's always important to mention that when Neville talks about to assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled that many times people understand that to mean to assume the emotions they would have if their wishes were fulfilled, which is good. Right. Which wrong is with fun. That. Yeah. But so when we talk about that though, sometimes that's difficult to feel an emotion, a happiness or a joy or an excitement over something. If that's something we haven't felt before, right. Or we haven't experienced before. However, when you talk about feelings as actual feelings, senses, touching things, sight, sound, touch, smell, then those are pretty easy, or at least they're an, an easy you know, way to enter into that imaginal state because we know what it feels like to, to touch the upholstery on our favorite chair. Mm -hmm. we, know what it, we know what it's like to look across at the piano and see pictures of our children that we've looked at hundreds of times. So. Right. I, I always want to bring that up because I think it's important. Uh, it, you don't have to struggle to reach for an emotion if you can just start with actual, your senses, with actual feelings. I'm reminded of one of the uh, the little vignettes, as we're calling them, that uh, Mike Dooley included in his Notes from the Universe, uh, which he collected into a series of three books. And in one of those books, there was one particular note that I've always remembered because I, I just thought it was such a great note in part because it's so daring in terms of what he was reaching for with it. And also in part because of the humor that was associated with it. Um, but 
and I don't remember the exact note how it was phrased, but it, the gist of it was that he was suggesting that we imagine having having our own private jet plane, and imagining that uh, it, this plane costs you know one hundred fifty seven thousand dollars a day to operate, and that, that's in addition to the cost of the pilot and uh, you know the actual purchase price of the plane is in the tens of millions of dollars and blah blah blah. I mean, just listing all this stuff, and he says, but as you're contemplating all of this, you really don't worry about any of that. Instead, you turn to the salesman and say, you know, I really like the plane a lot, but don't you have something with upholstery that isn't from the early 2000s? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and what he was doing, what he was demonstrating <laughs> is the importance of actually feeling the part you can feel, experiencing the part you can experience. Because everybody, anybody's ever, we talked about house shopping before. Anyone who's ever shopped for a house, people don't shop for houses trying to figure out how many termites have gotten in at it. They shop for houses based on, well, how is the kitchen put together? Do I like the layout? You know, do I like the fact that they put a, a, a little dinette over on the side or do I not want a dinette? This one had a dinette. I don't really need a dinette, but it has a great deck in the back. That's the way people buy houses. Sure. You know? Yeah. yeah. They, they, they live in the part that they can live in, that they can imagine, that they can feel. Right. Right. And, and that's the thing is that we, we want to, we want to go there mm-hmm. because that's, the part we can do. Right. I mean, honestly, that's the part that we, we've all used all of our senses. And so we can tap into those in a much easier way. I really, I really like that he's brought this up. Okay. So this is whose story? This is FG. Since childhood, I have dreamed of visiting faraway places. The West Indies particularly fired my fancy and I would revel in the feeling of actually being there. Dreams are wonderfully inexpensive. (laughs) And as an adult, I continued to dream my dreams, for I had no money or time to make them come true. Last year, I was taken to the hospital in need of surgery. I had heard your teaching, and while recuperating, I had decided to intensify my favorite daydream while I had time on my hands. I actually wrote to the Alcoa steamship line, asking for free travel folders, and poured over them hour after hour, choosing the ship and the stateroom and the seven ports I desired most to see. (laughs) I would close my eyes and in my imagination would walk up the gangplank of that ship and feel the movement of the water as the great liner pushed its way into free ocean. I heard the thud of waves breaking against the sides of the ship, felt the steaming warmth of a tropical sun on my face, and smelled and tasted salt in the air, as we all sailed through blue waters. For one solid week, confined to a hospital bed, I lived the free and happy experience of actually being on that ship. Then the day before my release from the hospital, I tucked the colored folders away and forgot them. Two months later, I received a telegram from an advertising agency telling me I had won a contest. I remembered having deposited a contest coupon some months before in a neighborhood supermarket, but had completely forgotten the act. I had won first prize and wonder of wonders. It entitled me to a Caribbean cruise sponsored by the Alcoa steamship line. (laughs) But the wonder didn't stop there. The very stateroom I had imaginatively lived and moved about in while confined to a hospital bed had been assigned to me. (laughs) (laughs) And to make an unbelievable story even more unbelievable, I sailed on the one ship I had chosen, which stopped in not one, but all of the seven ports I had desired to visit. That's fabulous. That's a great story. Wow. Yeah, (laughs) that's a great story. There are a few things I like about this story, too. First of all, one thing that hearing these stories has reminded me of is that, yes, Neville teaches us to assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled. And as you pointed out, feeling doesn't have to be an emotional feeling. It can be a physical feeling. It can be a taste, a touch, a sound, a smell. But even with that, like you said, it can be tough to get there, you know, to, to, to feel it or to smell it or to see it or to taste it. And what I've learned and what I've been recognizing more and more is the importance of sticking with it even when I'm not feeling it. If I can stay on the thought long enough, I start to get a wisp of a feeling. I start to get a wisp of a taste, a wisp of a smell or whatever it is. I get a wisp of something. Right. And it's this little vague thing. And if I just stay with it and stay with it, it starts to take a little form. 
just a little form, not a lot. Just It's not taking a definite form. It's like a little ghosty form. And then it starts to fill in a little bit more and starts to fill in a little bit more. And if I can stick with it, that's the key because it's so easy that, like you say, we get distracted by stuff all the time. But if I can stick with it, it turns into form more and more until finally I get a definite sense impression of some kind. You know, usually, for me, it's usually something hearing related. Sometimes it's sight related. But I get something. And the longer I stick with it, the more I can turn it into something, a real experience in my mind. Like many of these stories describe how at some point they, they stayed with it until they really believed it in their mind, until it became a real thing in their minds and their imaginations. Right. And that's what I loved about the story um, of the man that was searching for the records that mm. he laid down and imagined is because later it, it, Neville refers to it as he remembered what the sales clerk said. Right. You know, and when he said in his mind, that's not what I heard you say. Yes. I was thinking that's really powerful because he didn't say, well, that's not what I imagined you saying. He heard it. And, you know, that it's looking back at it as a memory. There's a method where that's one of the things you actually do is look back on the thing you desire as if it was a memory. I've heard Mike Dooley as well talk about um, – vision boards, mm -hmm. but he would take pictures and cut them out and he would put them like up in different places where he would see them in the same way that, you know, you go to someone's house and they've got like a picture of them in Hawaii right. and it's on their vacation. It's on their refrigerator right. or something, right? They want yep. to remember it. He would put pictures up so that they would actually look like memories, mm -hmm. kind of tricking the brain there a little bit. Tricking the brain, but it's also a programming thing. It's that that's why the stick to itiveness I think is so critically important because we give up really easily. And that's why so often we fail. And it, it, we can't give up. We have to keep at it. We have to just keep going back to it and going back to it. Even if we have to do it, you know, gently a thousand times, we just keep bringing our mind back to it, bring our mind back to it. Interesting in two of these stories, because one story, she was stuck in the courtroom for four and a half hours while the jury deliberated. Yep. Mm -hmm. And she imagined it over and over. And this one, this person was like stuck in a hospital for a week. Yeah. Right. But in that case, they said that they, you know, at the end of the week, they were getting released from the hospital. They just took the folder away and forgot about it. And that's another thing that I see comes up. That it's really just a, a an evidence of lack of resistance mm -hmm. when we forget about something. At the point that, not that we think it once and forget it, but at the point that it has been real to us. I think this is what Neville was talking about when he talked about our our imaginings being eternal. I don't know if that's the exact word he used, but, you know, I was likening it to a voice. We say words and they go out into the ethers, but they keep going. Sure. So oh, when yeah. we have these experiences where we've imagined something and allowed it to become very real to us, I think it continues to, it's a thought that's out there. I don't understand it all. <laughs> but, well, I think you understand it pretty darn well. And you're pointing to, how and why it is that continuing to stay focused on it is so useful and so worthwhile because it's already out there and it's bouncing around all over the place. So it's not like it's going away, which means that every new second that we spend focused on it, we're just building it up. It's just, there's there's no way for it to, to get smaller. It's just going to get bigger. Right. Just gets stronger and stronger. Which makes it easier. Because now we don't have to worry about, oh, God, can I maintain it to, to the size it's at right now? And you don't have to maintain it to the size it's at right now. That's not part of your job. Yeah, yeah right. It's just, it's just getting it, holding the vision of it until you're sure about it. And that's right. what I see, you know, now in this in this one about the cruise ship, not not as much. Um, they, but something I see in that one that we've talked about before, and that is the idea of when you go into your imagination, to imagine something uh, in that greater reality that you want, uh, that you desire, the idea of doing that exercise because it's enjoyable. Yes. And for no other reason, not concerned about the outcome of it. And that's what I kind of see in this one of the person in the hospital. There were a lot of things in that story uh, that said, they were doing this because it was enjoyable. They said dreams are free, and this was inexpensive. And mm -hmm. I spent a week on that ship. Right. I mean, in there, 
you know, there was never any, although they did know Neville's teachings, but there wasn't a whole lot of talk about, I decided I was going to go on this cruise in the future, and so I was going to consciously create this thing while I was here stuck in bed. We don't hear that. No. We just heard dreams are inexpensive, and I'm going to spend this week living my dream. (laughs) (laughs) Being on this cruise ship. I love that the cabin, the ship was the same ship. It went to all the places we wanted to go. Um, Very, very cool. And all seven ports. I thought that was great, too. Yeah. Yeah, so apparently... You know, hey, Jeffrey has a question for us. Yeah. And it's good. Okay. I love questions. <laughs> he says, do you think it's harder to manifest a physical material thing like home or furniture or to manifest a situation or an experience, like a not guilty verdict or a vacation? It depends on if you believe one of them's harder. I yes. Mean, I, I think they're ju- it's just as easy to manifest a castle as it is a button. Um, but for most of us, a button's easier. Yeah. <laughs> because we think the castle's harder, that's all. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I think anyway. Um, we could talk about the idea that when something's situational, there are often other people involved. But there are other people involved in everything. Even the home or the furniture, there are going to be usually other people involved. So I don't know. I don't think I don't think either one of them is the harder one. I think we can make it hard for ourselves. Yeah. So I think we're really good at that. You know, I, I, I have, I have someone in my life that, um, has a wonderful, loving marriage and has been married for, I think they're coming up on, I don't even want to say 50 years. Wow. And they spend the majority of their time together. They delight in each other. I mean, they've always had a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Not so much manifesting money. Mm-hmm. Now they're they're not living in complete poverty, but they have had struggles financially over time, sure. and famine, right, and struggles. I was coaching someone one time because this person I was coaching was very very um, successful in all kinds of businesses and had many awards and accolades and you know. Licenses, certificates, degrees, I mean, just amazing. From the time she was very young, like she graduated college when she was in her teens, and she just was amazing. And she wanted to find a relationship, and she had had much trouble finding a relationship. And she said to me, well, you know, making money is easy, but having a good relationship is really hard. And I said, I want to tell you a story. And she said, okay. And I started telling her the story of this couple that I knew. And I said, they're not a figment of my imagination. I've known them for 30-something years, and I see them pretty often. And they are wildly in love, and they've been married, you know, at the time it was probably 40, 45 years. And, but, and they're both incredibly talented, very, very smart. They've owned several businesses. They really know their stuff. And in the businesses they've been in, they've been the expert, top-of-the-line businesses, but they've struggled to make money. And she said, oh, my goodness. Like, it shocked her. Sure. And I said, you see, it's perception. It's belief systems. It's, you know, and it was the exact opposite of what she thought. So it's kind of like this question, right? One person says, well, it's easy to manifest a house full of good furniture, but I just can't find a job I like to save my life. And someone Mm -hmm. else says, Oh, I would love to have your dream home. I mean, I have opportunities open all the time, but I can't find a house I like. So, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's just, and you know, I think we choose different things when we come here. Um, and I think we choose to, you know, work out maybe our karma in certain ways. We choose to have certain experiences and, uh, and it's all part of the, part of the process. I was on a call with a bunch of uh, my colleagues today and, and somebody mentioned, you know, the contrast being part of the process. Mm-hmm. And it made me laugh because there was a, a chat going on and somebody had typed in, oh, part of the process. I love that idea. And I said, my son, my, my oldest son calls it Pop U, like Pop University. And the first time I heard him say that, he he was telling me something that was going on. He wasn't really complaining, but it was something that would be considered contrast. Mm-hmm. And of course, me as mom, right? I dove right in. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry <laughs> you know, that you're going through this. And he said, "Oh, it's just pop you." 
And I said, what is pop you? And he, he, I said, pop. And he said, part of the process. So it was just uh-huh. a, pop, a pop, a pop university experience, right? It's just part of the process. Yeah. It's part of the process of earth school, of going through my, you know, whatever we're going through. And I realized that for him, when he said, oh, it's just pop you, he was really saying, it's not a big deal that we have contrast, mom. You know, he's been hearing this stuff since he was a little kid, right? So, so he was giving me back my own stuff, saying mm-hmm. it's not that big of a deal. It's just contrast. It's just pop, it's just pop you. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's good. I like that. It's a great point. It's, it's a part great, of the process. It's a great <laughs> point of focus and of perception because if you can maintain that perception, you're going to be in good shape no matter what your situation is. Yeah. I'm also reminded too of what uh, Joel Elston has told us on the show that he has a lot of very, very well healed clients. And he says the one thing that's common to all of them is they all have trouble with, with relationships. He told me about one who had, who had discovered through something in the mail that, you know, some investment that he'd forgotten about had made him $17 million and he, it didn't even you know, affect him. It's like, you know, that's just another 17 million because he still can get his relationships right. <laughs> uh, well, and I heard somebody, uh, a coach that I know said one time, uh, she said, well, you can always tell the area that someone struggles in their life because they, those are what they have the most books about. That's <laughs> true. Like, That's true. As I looked up at my bookshelf, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, if you look at my bookshelf, it's just full of books on love and relationship. That's where I've struggled, right? It's like, <laughs> I always thought that was pretty funny. Well, I'm also reminded of another Joel thing because Joel is a big, uh, supporter and advocate of struggle, not of suffering, but of struggle, because he believes that struggle is where we achieve our, our best improvements in life. And I think he's right. I mean, I would say that just from the example you gave, you, you have become a relationship coach par excellence. And I, I think part of that yeah. is because of the struggles you went through. And so you right. become really, yeah. really good at it. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a, there's a concept that I really love, and that is the idea of cycles Right. And we have spiritual cycles and material cycles Mm -hmm. and spiritual cycles are those times where we're struggling, hopefully Mm -hmm. not suffering, but sometimes suffering, too. Right. But it's the it's where we learn all the stuff that we're learning. Mm -hmm. Material cycles are the times when, man, things are going so great. I just got a check for 17 million dollars in the mail. and My (laughs) house is looking great and everything's going so well. I'm feeling fit. Everything is fantastic. Not a whole lot of growth is happening right now, but we're enjoying it. We, mm-hmm. we enjoy those cycles of abundance, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. And, and then a cycle, you know, ends and we something happens that's contrasty, and suddenly we're back in that spiritual cycle again. But what I notice is that when we have that kind of, oh, it's just pop you kind of, you know, mentality about it, good mm-hmm. luck, bad luck, who knows, pretty soon what happens is – The cycles not only get shorter, but they start merging together. And what happens Mm. is we become where we're in a spiritual cycle all the time, but it doesn't affect us like it used to because we're also in a cycle, in a material cycle all of that time, in an abundant cycle all of that time. They kind of become where they're just always happening. We're never going to get out of the, the contrast. We're, we don't get to that place where we have no more contrast. Well, we, when we pass on, I suppose. We, but We just deal with it differently. Yeah. And it doesn't bother us as much. You know, mm-hmm. that's Vedantic philosophy says there are only two signs of being enlightened. One is that you experience more meaningful coincidence. Sometimes we call that magic, synchronicity, miracles. And the other one is that you just stop worrying about things. And that's what happens when these two cycles just become congruent with each other which is a very cool result yeah right we we, we have only seconds left but i want to make sure i get this in uh i always like to remind people how to get in touch with our coaches and co-hosts here on the show so tell people how to reach cindy chavez yeah you can reach me at my website cindychavez.com c-i-n-d-i-e-c-h-a-v-e-z shoot me a message if there's something you want to talk about if i can help in some way uh we'll hop on the phone just shoot me a message say hello i'd love to do that I know you live for doing that because you've been doing it for so long and you love it even more now than you did when you started, I think. This is true. Yes. <laughs> this is pretty cool. That, that means you've really latched on to the most important thing in life. You found what you loved and you stuck with it. I do love it. Yeah. That's great. That's a good thing. 
So another chapter done. I mean, we're making good progress in the book, but I, I also think to myself, wow, I, I just want to just eat up every single one of these chapters because they're so good. So I'm just going to sit with this for one for a while and then just get ready for the next one that comes next week. Okay. We'll be back next week. Sounds great. So thank you to you for all you do. Thank you, Jeffrey, for your commentary. And thank you to our podcast listeners as well. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.